So we are going to continue this morning on the Reformation. Does it still matter? There are two main questions that form the focus of the Reformation. The first question is this, what is the ultimate source of authority in the Christian life and faith? And the answer to that is Scripture alone, or sola scriptura, sola being alone. Luther rightly pointed out that it is Scripture and Scripture alone that is the ultimate source of our authority. It isn't man's doctrines or decrees or the councils. It is Scripture alone. The second question is, and this is what we started last week, and we're going to continue this week and next week as well. How is a person justified? That is, how is a person declared righteous before God? And last week we saw that it was faith alone, that it is faith and faith alone by which we receive God's declaration of righteousness. This morning, we are going to then go into the third sola, which is sola gratia, which is grace alone. Now, if you've grown up in a Protestant church at all, something from the Reformation, uh, these things might seem kind of familiar to you. They might seem almost natural, of course. Well, of course, Scripture is our authority and that we are saved uh, by grace through faith. And we take these as granted, But you should know, during Luther's day, if you spoke on these things, they were heresy. And people died because of this heresy at the hands of the Catholic Church. This heresy was so great that they put together a council called the Council of Trent. It's considered one of the most important church councils in the Catholic Church. And uh, it convened three times between 1545 and 1563 as a response to the Reformation. And they specifically dealt with Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. And they made certain decrees. And they said that if you believed in Scripture alone and faith alone and grace alone, you were anathema. Anathema is a biblical word. It means to be cursed or damned. And we actually find this word used twice in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you have your Bibles, you can just turn to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. I'm just leaving verse 9 up on the screen, but I'm going to read 6 through 9. Paul says in Galatians, He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached you, let him be accursed. That's the word anathema. Let him be anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You see, in Galatia, there were people who said, yes, you are saved by the gospel plus something else. And in this case, it was circumcision, that you must be circumcised, otherwise you are not saved. 
And Paul is saying, if you add but any little thing at all to the gospel, let you be anathema. That's how how zealous he was for the purity of the gospel. So, grace alone, faith alone. Let's hear what the Catholic Church, Council of Trent, said. I'm going to read three of their decrees. They call them canons. The first canon, canon 12. If anyone says that justifying faith, faith is nothing else but a confidence in the divine mercy which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that this confidence alone is whereby we are justified, let him be anathema. Council, uh, canon 14. If anyone says that man is truly absolved from his sins and justified because that he has surely believed himself absolved and justified or that no one is truly justified but he who believes himself to be justified and that by this faith alone absolution and justification are affected, let him be anathema. And one more. Canon 11, if anyone says that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the justice of Christ, that means by Christ alone, or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of the grace and the charity which is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Spirit and it is inherent in them, or even that grace whereby we are justified is only the favor of God, let him be anathema. Now, I know there's some kind of dense language in there. I hope you at least get the sense of what the Council of Trent was saying. If you are saved by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, let you be anathema. By the way, the Council of Trent has never been changed or revoked. It is still canon law to this very day. So, here's the question. Who's right? It's the Catholic Church which says, no, we have the right gospel? Or is it something else? See, is the gospel my, is the gospel God's grace plus my faith or my grace plus my ability to cooperate with God, which is what they're saying, that I'm saved by my ability to cooperate with God, or my faith, my cooperation, my works, or anything else, or am I saved by grace alone? That's the question before us today. Is it grace alone or grace plus anything else? How do we decide? We go to Scripture, don't we? Because Scripture alone is our sole source of authority. So we are going to go to Scripture and our reading, and we are going to focus on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So let's start with chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, if you ask your friends, your family, your neighbors, or if I simply ask you, are you a good person? You would naturally say, yeah, of course I'm a good person. Right? This is what everybody says. I am a good person. Yes, 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 I know. Actually, I found this picture here too. (laughs) I thought it was funny. We would say, I'm a good person, right? Okay, look, I might have some mistakes. I might have some flaws. But deep down, right? Deep down, I'm a good person. Have you ever seen on the news about somebody who has just killed somebody or several people? And the neighbors go, well, he or she was, they were a nice person. Or their family member says, but deep down, they're still really good after they've just killed people. You see, there was a study actually from uh, 2013, University of Southampton, in which they asked 79 prisoners from a prison in South England to fill out a questionnaire. Now, the prisoners were asked to rate themselves on nine different areas. How moral were they? Kind to others, trustworthy, honest, dependable, compassionate, generous, self-control, and law-abiding. And these 79 prisoners who took this quiz said that they were above average than all the other prisoners in that prison. On all of these, that didn't matter who they were, they were more moral, more kind, more trustworthy than all the other people. But get this, they were also asked to rank themselves against the general population in the town surrounding the prison. You know what they said? We are more moral, kind, trustworthy, honest, dependable, compassionate, generous, self-controlled than all the other people in the town. The only one that they did not rate themselves as superior to was the last one, which is law-abiding. And then they said, well, we're equal. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But listen to what Paul has said, right? In Ephesians, Paul writes that before you and I were in Christ, before we were in Jesus, we were not above average. We were not good. We were not moral. Quite the opposite. It says you were by nature. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And when it says you are by nature children of wrath, it means you deserved damnation. That's not nice to hear, is it? Certainly not nice to say, because we think of ourselves like those prisoners. Yes, we have committed crimes. We have been sentenced to prison, but we're not really bad people. Basically, we're good people who deserve, and there's the key word, who deserve a second chance, right? I mean, doesn't everybody deserve a second chance? Isn't that what Christianity is about? Don't we deserve to be saved? And the answer is no. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve a second chance. We don't even deserve a first chance. Now, I know 
what I'm saying is probably offensive. You see, if you say, I deserve to be saved, you're saying somehow, somewhere, deep down, you're a good person. There's something good enough in me that God would want to save me, that I can somehow at least muster myself up to cooperate with God for my salvation. By the way, this is what the theology was during Luther's day. You have something at least that can cooperate with God. And therefore, you reject the idea that you're, by nature, children of wrath. I don't know if you know this, but some people have changed the words to amazing grace. We're going to sing this song right before, uh, or for communion. Some people have changed the word of amazing grace. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. They don't like that. They've said amazing grace that saves a soul like me. That's how deep this goes. But what does God say in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12? It says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. To say that I deserve salvation is to go to the altar of self-esteem. At the altar of self-esteem, we offer our prayers not to God, but to ourselves. We tell ourselves that we're basically a good person, that we're above average, that we can work our way somehow to deserve enough for salvation. And through self-help and self-improvement, therefore, we can raise ourselves up, but this altar of self-esteem is really an altar of self-idolatry. And we're addicted to it. You and I are, are addicted to this. And what's the step first? What's the first step in addiction? To admit that you're powerless, right? So what would it be like if you confessed this? Hi, my name's Clayton. And I confess I'm a sinner who deserves hell. I confess that I secretly think if I do my best, God will do the rest. I confess that I rely on good things that I do to enter heaven. I confess that I believe if I'm pious enough, I'll be more saved than others. I confess that at times I put more faith in my faith rather than surrendering and trusting in you, Jesus. I confess that I fully don't believe you, O holy God, in your declaration that I'm righteous because of your word alone, that I must somehow make myself righteous. My name's Clayton. I'm a sinner who deserves hell. I shared that with my daughter last year and her friends were on the phone. It was a little conference call. And I read that and there was silence. And finally one spoke up and she said, oh, that's so black and white. And I said, yeah, it is. Some people might think I'm overemphasizing this. I don't think I am, not at all. Because the whole point is that it's grace and grace alone by which we are saved. Let's continue on with Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. These should be sweet words for everyone here. And I love how it says, it says, but God, but God, what a wonderful word here to use, but, which negates everything before it, all the sin, all the depravity, all the nature of children of wrath, but God, God comes through and it is his declaration of mercy, though we don't deserve it. It is God reaching out to sinners, God seeking you for your salvation. Mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and we deserve damnation, but God in his mercy withholds that judgment. And what is grace? I got so excited. What is grace? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. But that's what he gives. By his grace and grace alone, he saves us and raises us up in the heavenly places in Christ. And why does he do this? Because of his glory. It's to show all of creation his immeasurable glory his riches, his grace. And as if to bring home, and as if this isn't clear enough, Paul brings it home by saying this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Let me ask you, can you buy a gift? It's not a trick question. You can't buy a gift, can you? Because if you buy it, it's not a gift. Can you pay back? A gift. No, because then it's not a gift either, is it? A gift can only be received. And that's it. You can't work your way. All you can do is receive it. And the message this morning is this. Salvation is all God's grace. It's all God's grace. We can't add to it. Not one little dot, not one little iota. And that's why it's called amazing grace, right? That's why when you sing amazing grace, it is amazing. Now, during our Bible study on Thursday night, I I read this um, illustration that I came across and it was so appropriate. I thought I would uh, read it here. It's from a commentator, Kent Hughes. And he tells about a judge in England. He says, the church the judge attended had three mission churches under its care. On the first Sunday of the new year, all the members of the mission church came to the big city church for a combined communion service. In those mission churches, which were located in the slums of the city, were some outstanding cases of conversions. Thieves, burglars, and so on, But here, this Sunday, all knelt side by side at the communion rail. 
On one such occasion, the pastor saw a former thief kneeling before the judge. The judge, by the way, was a judge of the High Court of England. After his release, the thief had been converted and became a Christian and a Christian worker. Yet as the judge and the former thief knelt together, neither seemed to be aware of the other. After the service, the judge happened to walk out with the pastor and said, did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail this morning? And the pastor replied, yes, but I didn't think you noticed. The two walked alongside in silence for a few more moments when the judge declared, what a miracle of grace. The pastor nodded in agreement. Yes, what a marvelous miracle of grace. Then the judge asked, but to whom are you referring? When the pastor responded, why the conversion of the convict, of course. And so, uh, but the judge said, but I wasn't referring to him. I was thinking of myself. Surprised, the pastor replied, you were thinking of yourself. I don't understand. Well, yes, the judge went on. It was natural for this burglar to respond to God's grace when he came out of jail. His life was nothing but a desperate history of crime. And when he saw the Savior, he knew there was salvation and hope and joy for him. He understood how much he needed that help. But I, I was taught from earliest infancy to be a gentleman that my word was my bond, that I was to say my prayers, go to church, receive communion. I went to Oxford, took up my degree, was called to the bar, and eventually ascended to judge. My friend, it was God's grace that drew me. It was grace that opened my heart to receive Christ. I'm the greater miracle of grace. God's grace does not look on how high or how low you are. You see, salvation is a gift, and it is all grace. It's nothing you can pay for. It's nothing you can earn. I mean, besides, what payment could you give God for his immeasurable riches? Can you be Christ and go on the cross and shed your blood? If you do, the blood will simply stain red. But from the cross of Christ, oh, from his blood, we are washed clean. Do you know the song, Rock of Ages? Third, third verse says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. It's grace. And we go so far as to say even faith is a gift from God. That we can't boast in our faith we can only receive from God his grace and faith. So there's a quote from Luther. I can't quite attribute it to him, but it's, it's uh, something that it seems that he might say regarding your faith. God creates faith in the human heart the same way he created the world. He found nothing and created something. Even more simply, I cannot boast in anything but God's grace. The gospel is not dependent on us. It is from God and God alone. Now, I know some of you might be saying, all right, good, that's great. But what do I do? Aren't, aren't, aren't I supposed to do something? Aren't I supposed to do good works? Yes, you are. It says, for we are 
his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm going to, we could actually at some point, maybe do a whole message on this. I'm just going to leave this as a small coda for you. Works are the response we have from the gift we have received. Why do we do good works? Because of the grace we have received, period. And God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. All right, we'll save that for later. Grace alone. All right, grace alone. So how do we put this together? Because I know the urge is to do something with it. All right, I've got grace, now I better work hard, right? I know, I know the, probably the moment you walk out here, it might shift that way. So let's talk about what you can do. And uh, this is a modified uh, version from a fellow named Ray Pritchard. I thought he laid it out, uh, modified it somewhat. You can have true assurance of salvation. There are many people who do not have that assurance of salvation. They say, I hope so, because I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm a good enough person. No, you can have assurance, true assurance of salvation. You can stop wearing yourself out trying to earn God's favor. You can rest and simply be thankful. You can find your self-esteem in Jesus. You can find your identity and your worth in Christ because of the great love with which he loves you. And you can do works, good works, because of the love of Jesus. You can share the good news freely. A lot of people don't share the good news because they think it's dependent on how good they are and how skilled they are. If it's all grace, share the good news and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Does the Reformation still matter? You bet it does. Because we are saved by God's grace alone. Amen.